planes and the nation prepare to say goodbye to Jimmy Carter. Planes are sad. We're all sad. We knew this day was coming. Welcome to a special edition of Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Coming up on today's special edition, we're talking about Jimmy Carter, who is now in home hospice in his hometown of Plains, Georgia, where I am right now. Jimmy Carter is so much more than a former president to the people in this area. He's a neighbor, he's a friend, he's Mr. Jimmy. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia, we got the news on Saturday that Jimmy Carter had elected to go into home hospice uh, and avoid any sort of other further medical intervention. He's 98 years old. This wasn't a shock to to many, but at the same time, it hits home hard. He, He is Georgia's native son. He's withstood and survived and defied so many other illnesses and hospitalizations beat cancer in 2015. He was hospitalized several times in 2019, um, withstood coronavirus in his home in Plains. But now we have the news that uh, he's likely fighting what we think could be his last battle. Yeah. And, you know, we really are on the precipice of something that is going to be just this huge, historic world news event, but it's also coupled in that little town with um, that will just be a tremendous loss to the people in Plains, also just the people of Georgia. He has played such an outsized role in the state, in uh, the work that he's done since he was president. He has just had so many concentric circles of influence. Um, And it almost started, it was almost more so after he was president than while he was president. So from starting the Carter Center and growing it to Habitat for Humanity, to winning the Nobel Peace Prize, to just continuing well into his 90s to teach Sunday school at his Baptist church every Sunday. He has had such a profound impact on so many people. And so um, people, I think, are just uh, kind of stealing themselves for what at some point, and we don't know when, but now that he's in hospice, we, um, you know, have certainly have a sense that we're headed in this direction. Um, it will just be a tremendous, 
tremendous loss, but then also an opportunity to learn so much from the life that he has lived and is living, which has had such a massive impact. Uh, I wasn't even alive when he served as president, but of course I grew up learning stories and hearing about um, not just his impact in the White House, but also far beyond it with Carter Center, as you mentioned, fighting global disease, uh, uh, furthering democracy, promoting civil rights and human rights around the world, meeting with world leaders, just everything he's done has been front and center in the minds of Georgians. And, you know, sometimes they're very political, like when his grandson, Jason Carter, ran for governor against Nathan Deal back in 2014, and and Jimmy Carter endorsed Jason, of course, um, becoming a big political issue. And of course, some of it is just nonpartisan, you know, uh, monitoring election results, uh, fighting diseases like guinea worm and schistosomiasis. And in my career, I've been lucky enough to have covered him really for the last two decades. I've traveled with Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind, to Haiti in the Dominican Republic. I've joined the former president on national trips. I've sat down to talk to him about politics, about his grandson's bid for governor. Uh, I've I've been able to document some of the Carter Center's work, monitoring elections and and fighting these horrible scourges. But really what, what hits home to me is just he and his wife, Rosalind, as people, as members of their community. And when you come to Plains, you really see it front and center because the folks here, you know, of course they know him as a former president, but they also know him as the guy who presides over the annual peanut parade, as the guy who teaches Sunday school lessons at Maranatha Baptist Church right down the road, who sits on the community boards, who can be seen, you know, before he got sick, jogging around town, picking up dessert at the local ice cream parlor. I mean, he's just a regular person, as famous as he is, to so many people in this town of about 500 people. Well, and he means so much also to the state of Georgia. He was a member of the Georgia State Senate. His father as well had been in the legislature, Um, then of course went on to be governor, and then against every and all odds went on to become president. And he's obviously the only Georgian ever to become president and did so at a time when um, Georgia was not the political powerhouse that it is today. It really was um, seen as this just massive, massive upset that he would come in and win the White House with just sort of this, they call themselves the peanut brigade, this this, uh, group of people who had no particular national experience. This is not the situation where, you know, you have a national fundraising operation and then you uh, sort of move into your uh, sort of inevitable White House days. That was just not the case at all. But he um, did make it up to the White House and uh, had such a huge, profound impact on the White House. A lot of people said, oh, he's been such a much better post-president than president. But if you go back and look at the issues that he was really progressive on and almost ahead of the time on, uh, particularly climate change, you can go back now and see what he was doing. At the time, it was really relatively mocked when he put uh, solar panels up on the White House. When Ronald Reagan came in, one of his first acts was to rip those solar panels straight off the top of the building. Um, But now in retrospect, you really do see there was so much to what he was doing. It didn't necessarily click with the American public at all times, but the policy was there. And then you look at what he's been able to do internationally um, when he was in the White House, but then also since he's been in the White House to win a Nobel Peace Prize. Compare that to 
that tiny, tiny town where he was born, where he's from, uh, grew up without at first running water, no electricity, no indoor plumbing, just this incredible arc of a life is just so improbable. And it's almost impossible to even imagine that it happened. But then you go to Plains and you just see all of it right there, just in living history. And uh, it's going to be, that will continue to be a place where people I think will go to travel and see this unbelievable life so incredibly well-lived. And uh, that's really the story that Little Town has to tell. And that's where we want to focus the, the bulk of our show today. Uh, we'll be talking about his life and his legacy and his presidential policies and his post-presidency a lot over the next few days and weeks. Um, but Plains itself holds this very special place in American lore, it's certainly here in Georgia, and of course for the Carter family, because it's where he and Rosalind born and raised. Actually, Jimmy Carter was born right down the street in, in archery, but you know, effectively it's a, you can call it a, a satellite <laughs> town of, of, uh, of Plains. And this is where they decided to make, they could have lived anywhere they wanted to after the presidency. And they decided to come back to Plains, Georgia and make a life here. And a lot of his friends were worried he'd be bored. There wouldn't be enough to do. And obviously we know, you know, he, he kept very busy. Him and Rosalind were we traveled the world doing things with Carter Center and beyond. But even after 2015, when he announced his diagnosis with melanoma that had sp- spread from his liver to his brain and he had to slow things back and recede from public life, there was concerns from even his closest friends here in Plains that he'd be bored, you know, that he just wouldn't have enough to do. Um, you know, he'd spend his time fishing and swimming in his lap pool and you know, meeting with local residents, entertaining visitors, but it wouldn't be enough. But this is home for him. He's lived in the same home here since 1961. Of course, there's been security modifications to that entire compound since then, but it's the same. And I want to to play some audio from Zach Steele, who is a deacon at Maranatha Baptist Church. And we interviewed him on Sunday morning, a few hours after the news came out that the president was going into home hospice. Zach told us that former president is known more than just as a former president here in Plains. He's the uh, the bedrock of the character here, and he's taught a lot of us to be better people, um, given us opportunities to show what it's like to serve as a true servant leader. Um, and that's just not a lot of character we see in this world anymore. Um, and he's a very good person. Um, and, and I always tell everybody when we talk to him is, He's very good, you know, and the media makes him look very good. But when you know him as a personal friend, he's uh, 10 times better than that. And Patricia, interview after interview, the same themes were struck, that these regular people, deacons at churches and, you know, owners of stores and just doctors and lawyers who just live in this community got to know the former president and his wife, Rosalind, as peers, as friends, as neighbors. And it really hits home because, you know, you don't you don't see this. <laughs> you don't see this in American politics, even with former governors, let alone former presidents, who remain so entrenched in their communities and just so down to earth. Yeah, and I think it's such a key to the humility that he is so well known for. Um, coming from archery and plains, growing up there on a, ta- on a 
on a farm with his family where they were just so very remote and didn't have a whole lot of money. So they would make their own toys. They would uh, just spend days rolling a steel piece of a keg that he had gotten. They would just roll it. He would say, just roll it up and down the road for hours with his boyhood playmates, his friends. And um, that was also at a time in the segregated Jim Crow South. But when he and his friends, his friends were mostly black in the community. It was such a small, small town that those were just not um, divisions that he grew up really knowing about. This was just one single community, particularly there on the farm where he was growing up that had such a huge impact on the way he went, he went forward and governed and led on civil rights issues. And that all started right there in Plains. If you um, also, if you go to the Carter Center, it is so modest compared to what has become presidential centers now that we think about. And it's not just about Jimmy Carter. It's also this additional library research center. And then of course, this incredible, uh, center and genesis for ways to solve the world's problems, the biggest problems. And um, it really speaks to who Carter is just again, very, very modest. If you look at it, you almost, it almost blends in with everything around it. It is, um, it's not a tall building. It is sort of low slung, but makes a huge difference inside those walls. There's also in there, there's an exhibit of their, of uh, uh, President Carter and Mrs. Carter's wedding, um, what she wore for her wedding was a very modest suit. It was not a huge gown. Um, These were just very simple people who went on to be world leaders and be surrounded by world leaders. But the fact that they came from Plains and then went home to Plains, to your point, they could have lived anywhere. They could have lived in Manhattan, could have lived in D.C., could have lived in Atlanta for all, for that for all that matter, um, but they chose to go back to Plains. Which it for people who are listening from outside of um, outside of Georgia, it is so remote. It is far from just about anything. Um, the closest town is Americus. That's the closest big town, and that's not a very big town. But that's where they chose to go back to. And even in Jimmy Carter's later years, continuing to host and teach Sunday school. That just brought the world to him. He used to go out to the world. That brought the world to him. Jimmy Carter would teach Sunday school. Anybody could come to Sunday school and they would come and listen to his lessons on love or forgiveness or any manner of, um, you know, kind of themes that he wanted to highlight. Then afterward, you could take pictures of the Carters. Um, but uh, the one instruction was don't get between the Carters. Don't don't stand between uh, President and Mrs. Carter, they always wanted to be together. They were typically holding hands in all of those pictures and just such a constant partnership and presence down there in that town. This is a good place to take a break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. 
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. We're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, this special episode from Plains, Georgia. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy. We're not only the host of this podcast, we're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe at AJC.com podcasts and get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, in the town of Plains, folks here like to say they have two exports. They've got peanuts and they got a former president. And to say he's a tourist attraction here is an understatement. I mean, the airport's named after him. His brother's old gas station is a tourism site. His old high school is a tourism site. His boyhood farm is a national historic attraction. Everywhere you go around this area, there's Jimmy Carter memorabilia. There's Jimmy Carter attractions. He is just part of the lifeblood of this community. And you mentioned Maranatha Baptist Church, which is right around the corner from from downtown Plains. If you can call it downtown, it's just a you know a, a handful of stores that make up the sort of city center. Um, But Maranatha, back when Jimmy Carter held Sunday school lessons here, people would camp out sometimes two nights in advance in the little parking lot here just to assure themselves a spot in the church. That is how important it was for so many people. And people would travel all over the world. I've been to several of of his classes. But I'd see people from Germany, from Japan, from South Korea— from South America. I mean, people were all over would come and listen to his lessons. Jan Williams was the lay leader at the church who helped organize this and was very close to Jimmy Carter. I just hope that we can all have our own private times of reminiscing and grieving and and preparing for the final service here, but it's going to be hard to do. I want people to know this man may be living this world, but he has a wonderful place he's going to. And we all should want to be there with him one day. We then asked Miss Williams what she's praying for over the next couple of days. Here's what she said. My number one prayer is for Miss Roseland. She's going to be totally, totally lost without that man. She loves him with all of her heart. Look at all the years that they've had together. They did everything together. They talked about everything as they did when they were in Washington in the White House. It's going to be a tremendous loss to her. Patricia, they've been married, I think it's 76 years now. I mean, this is a couple that has broken all the sort of, all the records. And I had the opportunity over the years to to interview both of them about their relationship. And the stories they shared about how they became equal partners because they weren't at first, you know, he, he made it, they both made it clear that he kind of called the shots early in their partnership, 
But it was only when he started running for office and she started playing a bigger role in their family's business, their peanut business, that she also demanded a bigger role in his public world too, you know, not to make decisions without her, just to have an equal hand in their relationship. And they were remarkably candid over the years about the give and take that it takes uh, to have such a successful marriage. And they first, you can't even say that they first met. Jimmy Carter went to visit Rosalind Carter when she was Rosalind Smith, when she was a baby. She was the newest baby on the block. She had just been born and he went with his family to go visit the new baby. And it was Rosalind Carter. You know, they crossed paths many, many times, but then ended up going on a date when on a night when he was supposed to have a date with another girl, but she canceled on him. She had to go <laughs> do something else. And uh, uh, he had a date with Rosalind Carter. Instead, uh, they went to the movies with some friends and um, he told his mom the next day, I'm going to marry Rosalind Smith. You know, it was just kind of that it took that long. And then it was that instantaneous. And they just, I think all you have to do is look at them, look at them over the years, understand how difficult it is to have a successful relationship that is also that public. But then just to see them, even in that uh, that famous photo, slightly infamous photo with the Bidens and the Carters, when the Bidens have gone down the planes to visit the Carters over Christmas recently, um, they just are still so in love. That's all you can, that's all you can think when you look at the two of them. And so it's just been, uh, n- not just lengthy, but obviously such an unbelievable partnership. And he, uh, talks frequently about how much he relies on her, dedicates nearly all of his books to her. It's so, so obvious what a central soul solitary role they each play in each other's lives. It really is. And by the way, it's, 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 I should point out that when he asked her to marry him way back when, he she rejected him at first. He had he had to work at it until uh, until she she finally acceded to his request. But I, we you know I I talked to him about this years ago, about ten years ago, about their relationship, and he said now it's inconceivable to me because I don't make any decisions now without asking Rosalind first, and generally I just do what she suggests. We have a full and equal partnership, and have had since I first got involved in politics. So it's just a model that so many people have not only admired, but are seeking to follow. And one thing about our interview that really stuck out to me way back when was they had this minor tiff about a book that they were trying to write together. And she was remembering things differently than he was. And they were, it was started to brew over and it got to the point where, you know, his agent had to kind of step in and calm things down because they were writing each other snippy notes and, he, and they finally got to a point where they could you know, get along with each other. And, you know, he said to the bottom line is we've been able to resolve our differences. I am her trusted editor and she's my best editor. But I know that the final words are mine. And then she goes, she interjected at that point. And I know that my final words are mine. And that was the way the interview <laughs> ended, not in a bad note, but it was very clear, you know, that this is a partnership, even though, of course, the former president it was the one elected to the highest office in the lands. He, he always saw Rosalind as an equal partner, someone he brought to the table. And frankly, in press conferences and events over the years, put her front and center. You know, we see that a lot nowadays with, with politicians in the modern times, but we didn't see that 20 years ago fairly often. 
No, the role of the first lady really was traditionally to um, fade into the background and to be sort of an attractive family to the side of this central story that is focused on the man. That is just not the nature of their relationship. It really was, as you said, just such an incredible partnership. And she played a significant role in the White House, um, played a significant role in his campaigns as well, and continued to be that presence, not just his support system, but he was her support system as well. Well, that is about all the time we have for the special episode of the Politically Georgia podcast, but we're going to have a lot more coverage for you from Plains, from Atlanta, from Washington over the next few weeks as we continue to talk about Jimmy Carter and his life and his legacy. And you can follow the AJC's continuing coverage at AJC.com slash Jimmy Carter. Coming up on Friday's episode, we're going to also answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a message, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Let us hear from you. Before we leave, we want to leave you with this from Maranatha Baptist Church on Sunday. Be in prayer for our president, Carter, and be in prayer for those that are following all this as well, in the midst of it. And uh, know this, that the Lord is good. God always has a purpose. God always has an opportunity for us to follow Him and what He's doing. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, and whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.